Today on the TalentCast, we have LinkedIn, we have Google, we have job boards, and we answer, well, maybe not answer, but certainly ask the question, who bought the first fax machine exactly? We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the TalentCast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? So, bit of housekeeping before we get started. So I am traveling, well, for what for me is next week, for what for you was probably last week, uh, and my parents coming into town, so I, <laughs> my life is going into complete chaos, which is actually saying something, so I'm recording this a little ahead of time. This only matters to you because for the first time ever, you as a loyal listener, uh, <laughs> I'm not drinking coffee uh, while recording this. I'm drinking tequila, so I have no idea what's about to happen. Other than I really like the title of this uh, podcast and I'm going to go with it. So when I was much, 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 much younger, and I mean like much younger, I think literally it was 20 years ago, 21 years ago, I was still in grad school and I had just learned the internet. And back then there was, the internet was small enough that one could just, you know, learn it. Right now that seems kind of impossible to understand. This was post uh, Gopher Mosaic had just landed um, and was about to become Netscape, so that's really when this was, 1990, let's call it five or six. Someone decided what they would do is they would start the world's first internet-based uh, dating website. It was called Match.com. Now, this is not a <laughs> a pitch for Match.com. It's just this is a true story. This is an actual true story about my life. And they realized that if they opened up a dating site, the worst thing for a dating site to do is to open up the doors and say, come, please pay us 25, 35, 40, whatever, however much money a month or a year and meet people. And who the hell is the first person in line? Because they have just paid money to walk into an empty room in an internet kind of way. That's really what they did. And this is what they did is they, they, they did the obvious thing. They said, okay, we're opening the doors. We're, grant, we're gonna let everybody in for free, as many people as we want. We wanna create as much volume, as much mass, as much of an audience in this thing as humanly possible before we finally start to close the doors and charge people to come in. Because once we have 100,000 or 10,000 or whatever their critical mass number was, we could say, okay, we will charge you 10, 20, 30 bucks to come in because there's a lot of people on the other side of that line. Whereas if you were just starting, you kind of can't say that. You... <laughs> You know, you every club owner knows, every restaurant owner knows they want their restaurant and club to look busy, to look full. Otherwise, no one comes to it. No one swings by the, the, the disco, the disco, how old am I, and goes, gosh, that place looks pretty quiet. I want to go into that. That's not how that works. You want it to be a jumping joint. You want a lot of people there. Why did I just tell you that story? Well, I, can, I think you can figure out that I'm talking about job boards, 
right? The value of a job board is that there are a lot of people on it. The reason why a lot of people are on a job board is because there are a lot of jobs on that job board. Why are there a lot of jobs in that job board? Because there are a lot of people in the job board. It's a, <laughs> uh, well, either a virtuous cycle or a self-fulfilling prophecy, depending on how you look at it. But that's how it works. You can't have a job board where you say, uh, well, come on in and we'll show you three jobs. And then when your friend shows up, maybe we'll get a fourth or fifth, and maybe we'll slowly grow. You can't do that. That's why the way Indeed started was that it scraped and pretty much, and scraped is a nice, kind way of saying stole, let's be fair. Um, every job I could find, it spidered like crazy, much in the same way that Google indexed everything and spidered everything to say this is where stuff lives. And Indeed simply said, look, <clears throat> this is probably fair use, and if, if it's not, you probably want us to scrape your sites because having scraped all these sites, we have now created a critical mass of jobs in one space. And when you've done that, we're attracting lots of people. And all we're doing is letting them click on that job and going back to your site. We're not gonna own the relationship. We're not gonna insert ourselves in that relationship. We're simply going to aggregate the information and let you pass it along. And of course, what they did is once they gain that critical mass and once you have that critical mass of volume of people and you have that critical mass of jobs, finding a job gets kind of clunky and hard to do. And someone, some company was willing to pay a little extra money or pay any money to have their jobs show up at the top of the rankings. And thus you have Indeed, right? That's the Indeed model. I'm going to grab every job I can find because there's a lot of people here and there are a lot of people here because I've grabbed every job I can find. And my money happens because I'm going to shake down companies who want to appear at the top of the pile. Now, that's kind of a slightly cynical way of, of saying how LinkedIn did its thing. And, you know, good for them. They did it and they made it work. And that's fantastic. I have no problems with LinkedIn at all. Uh, I just like to make a you know little joke about it, you know, about the shakedown. But that's how it works. That's why we have it. And it got to the point that having scraped all those job sites and having all those jobs created such a critical mass that now every company pretty much says, how and what format do you want my feed of jobs? Because I know that people are going to your site and not my site because you have a critical mass of jobs. Unless you're one of a handful of companies for whom everybody goes, wow, I really want to work there, so I'm going to check their career site to see what's going on, and you know who those companies are because those are the companies that show up top again and again and again of companies everybody wanted to work for. Otherwise, how do people find you? Even if you're a good-sized name, and if you're not, God help you, you need something else to push in. You can spend a lot of money pushing your jobs in ads and lots of other places, or you can just put your jobs where the people are. Simple as that, right? That's what we do. That's welcome to the modern job process, right? Uh, that's why I remained absolutely incredulous that in niche job boards exist. Why would I, as uh, an hourly person, why would I, as a trucker, why would I, as a Latino, why would I, as a veteran, why would I, as a picket, I don't care, go to any other job board except the one where all the jobs are? Why would I let some board cherry pick and filter and do the hard work of finding a job for me when that's my job. I want to go to where all the jobs are, not just where a small select few are. Job boards that talk about we only have hourly jobs, and we only have jobs for veterans, and we only have whatever. I, I, you, can you trust those companies to actually say, look, we have every job for veterans or every hourly? No. Go to the place where all the jobs are and learn how to do a search on your own. That's you know how the modern world works, right? That's how things work. Now, I'm talking about this, 
And by the way, this goes back to the concept of who bought a first fax machine. Who bought the first fax machine? Who were they faxing to? They have the only fax machine. Who were they waiting for a fax from? That's, that's the title. Uh, clearly, the tequila is delicious. I'm going to take another sip. Excuse me. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. So back to job boards. Um, and that's the thing is, and so we, we're so over-focused and over-indexed and over-optimized against job boards because that is where the volume of our job searches are. You know, when I was working in an agency and I had access to data, to a lot of different companies' data, the rough rule of thumb was as many as 60 or 60 to 80% of all your traffic to your jobs was coming from a job board, and that meant almost always Indeed at the top, and then you had a couple other small ones like LinkedIn, uh, at the time Simply Hired, now no longer here, uh, Snag a Job, and, and Glassdoor, and a couple other people who were kind of, you know, trying to get to a better spot, but really, you know, they weren't any touching anywhere near Indeed. Um, you know, you expected most of your your job from your boards, and there wasn't a question of that's where the good traffic was. It was just simply a question of that's where the traffic was. That's where people were, and you knew you had to kind of fill that space. Unless you're looking for astronauts or astrophysicists, um, you knew you had to post your jobs in the Indeed and the, and the job boards like that because again, that's where the people were. So, what happens is is you're trying to fit and solve a two-sided problem, right? It's a two-sided equation. I have to get enough people in the space to get the jobs, and I have to get the jobs to get the, to get the people. It's a very complicated solution. Now, they seem to have solved that. The question becomes, and this happened, uh, what I was thinking was when I was thinking about this idea, I was wrestling with this idea of if Indeed has done the heavy lifting of figuring out how to create the critical mass of both jobs and people, which, by the way, is a massive, massive, massive hurdle we just talked about. If they figured that out, the only way to compete with them, the only way to kind of play a game with them, because being a niche job board, you can't win. How, <laughs> how do you compete with Indeed when Indeed's pitches, we have all the jobs, and your pitches, we only have some of the jobs? How do you win? What's the end game there? Okay, end game there is we can make a little bit of money and we can eke some cash out of this thing and then one day we'll die. And that's not a big deal because we didn't spend too much money on this thing anyway. Right? That's their big play. That's not going very far. That's not strategic. You can't win that game. So the only other way to challenge an Indeed kind of company is to come in orthogonally. It's to come in from a very different direction. So for example, let's look at players who have challenged LinkedIn to some extent, or indeed to some extent. We'll start with LinkedIn. He says the tequila clearly taking hold of his tongue. Why does the LinkedIn job board work? Why does it generate any traffic whatsoever? 
Well, it generates traffic because it figured out how to aggregate people, right? It's the uh, business Rolodex of everybody's life, right? Everyone ha is on li in, uh, LinkedIn. Everybody has connections with everybody through LinkedIn. Everybody meets people through LinkedIn. I mean, honestly, why do we even have business cards anymore? We should just have little cards with our LinkedIn ID on it and a name and maybe a little space where you say, this is where I met you and we can pass them and trade them. And I can go back to my desk or back to my laptop, look you up in LinkedIn, send a request, and then we're good to go. And then we can have a conversation. What the hell is a business card for? Why do I need your phone number? Why do I need your business's fax number? For God's sake, really take that off. Please, you're kidding no one. That's just sad. LinkedIn figured out once we have all these people, then we can start, and once we have that aggregated people, once we have that critical mass of people, then we can start to add the jobs. We can start to pitch to companies, look, we may not have, and this is years ago, we may not have the most robust job board, but we have the people, and that's the important part to you. And we have the people not because we have the jobs, we have the people because we are the function of being the Rolodex that they need anyway. So the jobs became an add-on. They had to come at this from you know from a different direction they didn't say we only have people because we have jobs thus we need jobs to have people they came in and say we have people through this whole other mechanism and through this whole other value channel and by the way we can tack on the jobs make a mountain of cash in the process and grow very quickly and let's be fair i bet at any given time, there are a lot more LinkedIn active monthly users than there are indeed active monthly users. Why? Because you can go on LinkedIn when you're not looking for a job. Who on earth goes to Indeed just to hang out? Why? Explain that to me. Bring that person to me. I have questions because I don't think they exist. So consequently, LinkedIn has a value and adding the jobs allows it to print cash at a certain rate. It's fantastic. Look at Glassdoor, same kind of thing. They didn't come in and say, look, we have jobs. They started in by saying, let's let you talk about your job and your company. Let's give you a reason for being. And when you show up, hey, could we get your email address and maybe we'll make a little account? And then as we learn more about you, depending on what jobs you look at, what companies you look at, and what reviews you leave, we can learn more about you and we can engage in a relationship and we can say, hey, somebody responded to your uh, uh, response or uh, your review or these, might, these are other businesses like the one you're at, you might want to talk to and eventually you get a straight up job board. Again, they aggregated the people asking them for value in a different direction, i.e. leaving and giving reviews about companies and learning about companies in that way. And once they had the critical mass of people, then they can say, hey, companies, we already have people. You want your jobs in front of these people? Pay us. And that's how they worked. Now, along comes this little company called uh, Google. Yeah, I think you've heard of them. And they decide, I'm launching a job board. Now, they do have a lot of personal data, a, a lot of data. But it's a weird kind of data because what's the last the last data I saw said that Gmail did not account for more than 20% of all email accounts. I mean it seems like everybody seems to have a Gmail account, it's free, it's got lots of data, it's easy to use, it's web accessible, all the good stuff. But it there's still so many legacy Yahoo and AOL and Hotmail and what my parents have a flash.net account. I have no idea what that is. Um Hey, mom and dad. <laughs> the tequila is delicious. 
but Gmail never really took over. So consequently, Google doesn't know as much about you. When you have a site that asks you to log in and sometimes they say, would you like to log in with Google, they do have a lot of your data, a lot of people's data, but they, most of those sites usually say, you can log in with Google or you can log in with Facebook or we can pretend you don't have either of those things and you can log in with your email address. So consequently, Google doesn't exactly have the same kind of uh, market penetration of account data that a LinkedIn has. Think of it, LinkedIn, even when it only had 100,000 people in it, they were all professionals, they all had jobs, they all knew each other, that was very, very valuable. Google knows a lot, and let's be fair, they know a lot, but they don't have a deep knowledge of everybody, they have a deep knowledge of some people. Let's call it 20% of the population, 20% of people with Google Plus and Gmail accounts that that is active and stuff is happening. Because let's be fair, once you have those accounts, you're pixeled and you're cookied and Google tracks your activity and Google knows all sorts of crazy stuff about you once it has something to do with you. Now, I'll accept that there are probably people who have some sort of Google account, whether it's Gmail or not, and it is collecting data. So let's say it's only 50% of people have Google has really good data on, that not only is it interesting and useful, but it's actually tied to a person, meaning it's not user number 4412342-4421, but what we know is they live in Skokie, and they are probably male, and they probably own a car, and they probably, based on their uh, shopping habits and based on their surfing habits, and we know a lot of things about them, but we don't actually know that person's name. (laughs) Kind of important, right? Especially in the job board space. Google doesn't have the same value, the same doesn't bring the same kind of value that a LinkedIn did or a Glassdoor did. It has a different kind of data. And that led me to think, why is Google getting in this space? And I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that it made no sense that this is a problem Google was solving that didn't really exist. It was solving the wrong problem. And I maintain that that's all true because I still think, frankly, using job boards to do most of your job searching and most of your job hunting is the way of the past and not the way of the future. And I think that's a separate podcast. I don't want to get into that, but I think it is a good conversation to have because I think this concept of um, you put a job description out there and I'm going to try and match it and I'm going to try and hide from you my my faults and my imperfects and you're going to try and hide from me all the bad reviews on Glassdoor. And it's like a bad first date where we all try to say how much money we pretend we make and, and uh, how many famous people we pretend to know. And it turns out in reality, we're actually unpleasant people sometimes and occasionally have bad breath. And we hide all that stuff and we hope, okay, we'll get married in this job phase while we're still liking each other before we figured out each other's flaws. And then it turns out those people are flawed and those businesses are flawed and we are shocked somehow. I don't know. Seems like a bad idea. The solution to that is a whole other podcast because frankly I haven't figured it out but a lot of people are thinking about it. Anyway, why is Google getting into this space? And my theory, and from this point on it is pure speculation. I mean pure tequila infused speculation. Let us be clear. Let us, Lawyers, please sit down. Please. Put your notebooks away. Put your your fingers away from your keyboard. You will not be involved in this process. Here's my theory. And this is a crazy theory. My theory is that Google is not gunning for an Indeed. My theory is Google is gunning for LinkedIn because it has all that personal data of a lot of people and has a lot of data about people it doesn't really know who it is. It's got really, really, really deep data beyond where you worked and what your quote-unquote interests are, or at least what you say they are, which again is the professional equivalent of telling people uh, you go to yoga every day and you like uh, 
you're a people person on your dating profile. Yeah, you went to yoga once three years ago. Just shush. You ran a hat. You ran a five k. You're not a marathoner, <laughs> and you did it once. You're not into exercise. These are the things we tell each other, right, about what we like. Let's be fair. My LinkedIn profile is what I like to think of as the best case scenario of me, right? And I think that's probably true of everybody. It's an, not quite aspirational, but certainly the best projection of me. Here's the wonderful pro, pro, uh, professional things I've done. Here are the groups I care about. Does anybody really follow groups? Anybody? I've posted to them and nobody clicks on them, so I think they're all dead for the most part. Um, I think LinkedIn is what we want, you know, is what we want people to think of us. It's the advertise, it's our professional advertising network. Google, and I'm getting email, um, Google is not that much different except it's not about what you report to Google that it knows, it's about what you do. It's about your searches, it's about what's in your mail, it's about your web traffic, it's about your intention, it's about uh, the things you click on. It knows that you have a car because you've searched for car parts. It knows what that car is. And by the way, it also knows what the problem with that car is based on what you're searching for. It knows that I'm looking for glasses because I am Googling to learn about why some pairs of glasses have bent arm temples and some of them have fairly straight arm temples because that seems weird because the straight ones are much more comfortable for me and the bent ones hurt when I put headphones on. And I need to figure out, is that a design flaw or am I just some sort of weirdo? So Google knows I want glasses. I have glasses, I'm looking for new ones. Google knows all sorts of stuff about me, not all of which is really meant for prime time or for this podcast. Don't worry, I won't go anywhere near that. It knows all this stuff and all I have to do is raise my hand and say, hey, I'm looking for its job and for it to go, okay, we know the website you go to. We know what your website is. We know what your LinkedIn profile is. We know what your MD profile is. We know that you left, uh, that you've been in a glass store and you've looked at these companies. We know, and that list goes on and on and on. And let us be fair. There was a time in which Google felt like a building full of monkeys who just did nothing but look at websites and tag them. And that changed because what Google is now really is a room full of monkeys who do nothing but machine learning and information uh, and uh, artificial intelligence. They take all that data. They take all of that data that you churn out and they turn it into understanding about who you are and what you do and what you like. Not just because, hey, we're going to pitch you an ad for, for, for baseball because you, we think you like baseball. Hey, buy a signed, buy a signed uh, the jerseys in baseball? Yeah, the jerseys. Um, or hats or whatever, balls or whatever, you, because we know you like baseball. That's, that's easy. However, knowing what websites you surf, knowing what things you do online, knowing where you spend your time, knowing that you spend a lot of time in a certain Reddit, uh, subreddit, arguing with somebody about a certain topic means you're very, very, very serious about a topic. You care about it. This might be a topic that's, you know, why Doctor Who is actually Jesus, or it might be a topic that turns out to be professionally relevant and valuable and interesting. They're pl I mean, for every stupid uh, Reddit thread, a subreddit out there, there are many, many really not stupid subreddits that are incredibly useful, incredibly smart, incredibly thoughtful and useful. And if you spend time on them, guess what? Google knows because Google's tracking all of your traffic. It knows what you're doing. It knows what you're searching for. It knows where you go. It's pixelating and tagging you everywhere you go as much as it can know about you. It built a whole network called Google, uh, uh, or actually technically I bought it and then it built it out, called DFA, which is Double Click for Advertisers, which it 
it places a, a, a tracking tag on you, and every time you go to a site in which double click is installed, it goes, oh, I know that guy, or oh, I know that girl, I know where she's been. And it just tags and adds that information, and Google owns all of that. So what's real about a person? Your web traffic or what you tell people on a dating profile? Your resume or what you actually do all day? That's what Google's coming at. And Google's, I think, I think, again, the speculation running rampant, running wild, really I should be stopped, the tequila, Eridura, Reposada, by the way, delicious, not, not pitching them. It's just delicious. Um, my theory is that Google sees a weakness. My theory is that the second Microsoft bought LinkedIn, Google said Microsoft or LinkedIn's about to become the world's most expensive Outlook plugin and 50% of it, its audience will go away because they don't or won't use Link or uh, Outlook. There was a time 20 years ago when you were at work what email clients were there. There was Lotus and Outlook. And I there are a handful of tiny 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 local products that didn't matter, but mostly it was Outlook. And now you have all sorts of choices. So Outlook is no longer the place everyone wants to be. But if you're saying LinkedIn is all about Outlook, and let's be fair, Microsoft has said nothing except how LinkedIn is going to really augment Outlook by saying, hey, look, I got an email from, from Suzanne, and here's all my contact information. It's going to build myself a tiny little personal CRM where I know the last time I talked to Suzanne or last time I had a conversation with Suzanne or what I know about Suzanne, and it's going to show me where Suzanne works, where she went to school, what connections we have in common, the last time she updated her profile, what she's been up to, what changes might be happening in her life, i.e. jobs or articles being published or whatever, and that's going to help me have a better professional conversation with her. It's a good pitch. I, I get it. I think it's going to be a fantastic plug-in one day uh, and not too far on, but it's not going to be perfect because LinkedIn will not live on its own. It will no longer have a reason for being because it will be a Microsoft product and live inside of Microsoft's ecosystem and plenty of people will go, Microsoft, got to go, bye, and bolt. Now, having been raised in a time when Microsoft had a clear monopoly over things and got their butts sued and handed them by the U.S. government and probably should have by the European government. I was not a big fan of Microsoft for a very long time. However, I think they've turned a corner. They're very service-oriented. They're not living and dying by Outlook, I'm sorry, by um, uh, Office and Windows. They're trying to grow into a cloud world. I think they're doing a great job with that stuff. And that why LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn makes sense to them. If they're growing into effectively the professional Gmail and they're integrating all these sorts of uh, data processing about the people you're talking to to help you have better conversations. That's a great pitch. That's a great idea. Every one of you should want that. Right now it's wonky when you're recruiting or pitching or whatever and you have to go look at somebody's LinkedIn profile and you know they see you do it and you're like, oh yeah, now he knows or she knows. I forgot who they were or what they did or why do I know them and I had to look them up. And now when it's integrated in Outlook, it's smooth as silk. The problem is, once you've said, look, I'm no longer every professional's Rolodex, your reason for selling jobs kind of starts to dry up. Because if half of your audience goes away because you're now a Microsoft product and you're only really an Outlook plugin, you're a small audience. You're now effectively the world's not nichiest niche board and you will not live long. So there. There's my theory. I think Google smells blood in the water, and it's not indeed. It's LinkedIn.
and it's decided to fill the gap. And it thinks it knows so much personal data about you, it can either one, help you find jobs, and I think that's what Google's always been, you know, prided itself on being. Hey, you said you searched for X, Y, and Z. I think you want this. I think this is the thing that solves your problem. Whether you know or not, this is what I think you're looking for. That's always been the Google magic, right? That's, you know, the, the I feel lucky button, which let's be fair, still exists. And that stuns me. I don't think I've ever really clicked on it. <laughs> I don't know anybody who does. Uh, but still, that's the kind of, that's the core of their DNA. That's who they are. We're here to give you that which you you want and you may not know how to put your finger on it, but we're going to know so much about everything, we're going to anticipate. And all of their money, all their time has been spent on understanding data because I mean, literally that's their, their mission is to organize the world's data, right? Their world's information. And all of the information learning, information science and the data science that they've brought into their house, they are probably one of the preeminent data science houses. That's what it's in service of to give you effectively, to anticipate your need and give it to you before you really want it. Thus, you have the Google Home. Thus, you have all the other stuff that Google does. It knows where you are because of maps. It knows what you do at those places. It Because you know, you're going to use Google Pay or you've got the phone and it tracks you everywhere you go. And it knows all your web surfing traffic. It knows all this stuff about you. And what it's going to say is, look, I know you spent your entire life as an accountant but I have this non-accountant job and I think you will actually like it. I think it's a good, th I think you will really dig it. And it was, it's never something you would have wanted, but I think you're gonna dig it. It's going to change the passive job searching game forever. When Google is pitching you jobs like it pitches ads, not because someone paid the most money for it, but because Google legitimately thinks this is the thing that you want. There you go. Okay, so I planted my flag. Tequila was delicious. Not done yet, so I'm going to finish this up. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions, have any complaints, if you want to sue me, if you want to sue me, my name is Bob Smith, and I live in Colorado. Otherwise, I'm James Ellis. How you doing? Um, please get in touch with me via Twitter at The War for Talent or on my website or for this web this podcast called thetalentcast.com. I know, clever, right? Uh, always looking for people to uh, present to. If you're looking for someone to present at your conference, give me a holler. Uh, otherwise, have a great week. I hope my traveling goes well, and I see you in a week. Adios, and have a wonderful time. Bye. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.